1: We're talking week five game level similarity projections for fantasy football on RotoViz Radio.
0: What's up, RotoViz?
1: Welcome to the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Curtis Patrick, joined by Dave Cabin. We're two of the owners here at rotoviz.com, and this is the weekly fantasy football projection show. We've been doing this uh, each week of the season. It's a really fun uh, exercise to start getting into the start sits. You can use it for some waiver wire, some you know, look-ahead you know, trade situations, even in Dynasty, just really enlightening uh, the, the quick, 15 second overview is we use uh, player data and team defense data to come up with ranges of outcomes for each player uh, playing this week. And we can then make decisions about uh, whether to start high ceiling or high floor players and also identify some potential traps across our rosters. Last couple of weeks, we've been taking listener questions and live stream viewer questions Uh, Tonight, Dave and I are actually going to focus on a couple of our main event teams and solve our own start-sit problems. We will be back to answer all of your questions in week six. Dave, before we dive into the quarterbacks for week five, anything you want to add tonight?
2: Oh, I just want to say, too, also, if you're not going to, if you're somebody that's not going to be able to, tune in on the nights that we are live on youtube twitter or anything like that feel free to send start sit questions and maybe we'll use them on the show as well to the email or to us on twitter in advance and you know if it's something that seems like it could be applicable in a lot of places we'll work it in other than that though curtis i got the glsp uploaded had a chance to look at it uh i am pretty pumped about uh making our way through it this week and the other fun thing is we're at a point now we got a lot of good data in there so let's 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 wow i'm stuttering i'm so excited let's get to it
1: (laughs) all right we got to get a little sound drop there for a transition what do you got
2: all right let me see how about old bread and butter
1: okay very good all right let's talk quarterback game level similarity projections for week five We'll start with the All-Stars from the Tools this week. Uh, to no one's surprise, Josh Allen leading the way again. He's got a little bit of a streak going here. He's a Cal ripkin of QB1 in this tool. Um, Josh Allen projected for 22.2 uh, fantasy points at his 50th percentile projection this week. Kyler Murray coming in at QB two, Kyler recovering a little bit of fantasy value with his work with his legs last week, which was nice to see did get going a little bit towards the end of the game. Hopefully Kyler will turn back into a fantasy stud uh, for those who were willing to draft him in the top seven rounds of their fantasy drafts Um, this season, you know, sticking with the theme, Lamar Jackson uh, coming in third at his 50th percentile projection with 19 points. And then, uh, last week's surprise uh, stud, Jared Goff, QB4 uh, in our GLSP projections this week. Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes round out the top five in a tie for fifth at 18.5. Goff, obviously, the big surprise there. Anything you see from his matchup or his distribution that's noteworthy, Dave?
2: Yeah. And, and golf is a player that I talked about some last night with just how surprising uh, he and Detroit's offense have been with how good they've been able to be throughout the course of the year. I guess the first thing that I would point out is that less than 25% of his distribution falls below 15 points. So this is the type of distribution you like highly concentrated beyond 15 and is expected to put up about 280 yards with two touchdowns. So, I mean, that's a testament to what Jared Goff has been able to do. Of course, the Lions face a New England defense uh, also that could be in a tough spot given what the quarterback situation might look like over the weekend. So, wheels up for Goff this week for sure.
1: Well, and the cool thing with Goff too is just that his own defense has been so bad that he can either succeed by just playing really well in a game or by <laughs> tossing up tons of garbage time points. It's like, you know, this is like a vintage uh, Blake Bortles situation in Detroit this year. Every game's going to become a track meet. It's really cool. And, and you know, when, when you reference less than 25% of his games coming in under 15 PPR, I mean, what we're really looking at is a quarterback that, you know, whose floor is, is probably like QB 16 or something this week. But in in 75 percent of his distribution, he's, you know, almost that anyway. He's looking like a, a strong bet to finish as a QB one, you know, yet again. So, you know, a single QB league, you know, it's possible he could still be floating out there uh, on the waiver wire and two QB leagues. You're obviously, you know, you're starting him at this point um, with the streak that he's been putting up. Um, and then for DFS purposes, you know, obviously it's going to take a long time before his salary uh, you know, keeps up with what he's able to do. So, you know, he could, you know, even though don't really like to go away from the Konami code options and, and cash games, you know, given his floor and ceiling this week, you could consider golf in cash and also um, some fun tournament lineups in a game that maybe people won't be on quite as much just because of the questions about the Patriots being able to push the Lions. Um, Joe Burrow also showing up in the, the top five is encouraging you know Alan Murray Jackson Mahomes you would expect to kind of pencil them in at the beginning of every single week as top 4 uh anything that you see in Burrow's matchup um it, I will also note here that his 75th percentile um projection is at 22.3 PPR also you know in that QB1 range though so he's got he's got a strong uh, you know, median outcome and a strong top quartile outcome. So, you know, what do you see in the matchup, Dave?
2: Yeah, well, so he's very heavily concentrated. Uh, 64% actually of his matches going between 15 to 25. Not too much upside in comparison to the other passers there. But a lot of that comes down to this week. There's a high expectation for him in terms of passing touchdowns. His average comp throwing two touchdown passes, which might not seem like that much, uh, but for the output you're going to get here when you're looking at a group of 50 quarterbacks, that's actually pretty high. Also expected to put up 271 passing yards. So this looks to me uh, like a spot uh, where we could see Burrow put together a pretty solid game. I expect that he will. Um, And Baltimore... You know, we saw Mac Jones move the ball a little (laughs) bit against them, right? We've seen some teams uh, get wide receivers a ton of fantasy points too in matchups against Baltimore. So it's no surprise you're going to see Burrow, um, you know, at the top this week.
1: So we're going to go a little deeper here as we've done the last couple of weeks on the Burrow matchup, just because this is such an interesting game. It's a divisional game with Cincinnati traveling to Baltimore. It's got a high game total. Um, and you know, Baltimore has been, you know, very beatable, uh, through the air, you know, really a fantasy defense to target for all quarterbacks. So I'm going to flip over to the NFL stat Explorer check out the matchup analysis tab, and I can look at the last five matchups against Baltimore. Now four of those five matchups have occurred in, you know, this season with the players they're using now, I can see right away, Dave, in three of the four games this year, uh, the defense has allowed top three expected points to opposing quarterbacks in that week. Uh, that occurred in week one against Joe Flacco and the Jets, in week two against Tua uh, Tagovailoa and the Dolphins, and then in week four against uh, the Bills. And then when I look at what those quarterbacks did in those games, I mean, we have had some crazy stuff. And it wasn't just the Tua game in week two that was really propping it up. I mean, Josh Allen found his way to 25 points last week. As you mentioned, Mac Jones, managed a 19 uh, PPR uh, fantasy point output in week three for new England. And that's despite uh, throwing three interceptions in that contest. So we had some negative points coming back, you know, pulling it back the other way. And then Joe Flacco over 300 yards in week one. So you have to like Joe Burrow's chances with the strength of his receiving core, you know, it's right up there with what the dolphins can, can trot out. So uh, like this game, shouldn't see any of the, the weather, issues that uh, kind of plagued that Buffalo uh, Baltimore game, you know, this this past week. So, high hopes for Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati offense in week 5. As we look down through the GLSP at quarterback Dave, any lesser names that are popping to you as good streaming options or any studs that you might want to consider sitting based off of what the apps
2: telling us? Well, Mariota has been scoring really high in the GPS for a number of weeks. Once again, we see him posting a favorable projection. Atlanta will be facing Tampa Bay. Now, his average is pretty good, but it's interesting if you look at the distribution of uh, you know, his point totals. His largest bucket actually comes between 10 to 15, but you have seen quarterbacks similar to Mariota actually 24% go over 25. Um, so that's kind of encouraging, but I would say that I don't like him as much as some other players this week that you might consider streaming. Carson Wentz puts up a good projection. I know he's been a little bit up and down. I think that he could rebound this week. And a player that I talked about yesterday for people to go after on the waiver wire who has been a real pleasant surprise, Geno Smith comes in yeah, maybe. with another really solid GLSP. Now, he's facing... New Orleans. And I will admit, if you go in and you look at the stat explorer, there have been some ugly performances against this defense in recent games. However, if I look at his distribution, it's a normally distributed uh, distribution, more or less largest concentration between 15 to 20 had 20% of his matches go between 20 to 25. I think this is the type of distribution that's really nice for a quarterback like Geno that should be widely available. So he's going to be a player that I'm going to write up after we finish this podcast in the uh, GLSP article this week.
1: Okay. One player that kind of on uh, fantasy life support at the position that I wanted to mention real quick. He's become like the low floor, high ceiling uh, player in, in the app now uh for the last couple of weeks is Justin Fields. <laughs> so J- Justin Fields. At I least mean, he made
2: it in this week. I didn't have to do any manual manipulation <laughs> to get him back. Yeah.
1: He, he had so few <laughs> passing attempts that he wasn't even meeting the basic uh first first line screen in the first couple of weeks for those who've been tuning in uh to the show the past couple of weeks. Uh but you know they do uh you know the tool does like him. Um you know that the past 50 you know likes him against Minnesota this week 18% of his distribution coming in above 25 fantasy points, another 20%, you know, healthy 20% between 20 and 25. Um, so, you know, greater than a, a one in three shot at a strong QB one week with room for even more upside. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you know, 40% of his sample, 46% of his sample living, you know, below the 15 point threshold. So, uh, You know, anything that you would add and, you know, how would you lean to the floor or or the ceiling for somebody who's desperate to get something out of fields?
2: Yeah. So I think the reason that you see this distribution shaking out like this is because Fields' rushing production is putting him in with a group of players at the quarterback position that are likely to score Mm. touchdowns. So this is really driven or being made or broken, if you will, by him finding the end zone. I think the other thing is that there are so few passers throwing as few attempts that uh, even the matches he can get matched to are still getting a little bit more production out of their arm than he is likely to. So I would actually lean toward expecting him to realize the lower end of his distribution and scoring highly. I don't think that I would trust him this week. As this offense hasn't looked like one that's necessarily going to put him in a lot of spots as a passer or as a quarterback, I should say, to score a touchdown. So, you know, encouraging to see him getting a little bit of love, but uh, I would not be playing him unless forced to.
1: Yeah, I think that that's the safe way to go with that one. I was, I was wondering if we get a bold prediction nope. um, from Dave Cabin on, on Justin Fields. And then last, um, another function of the GLS P is you can actually go head to head, and there's a couple big names with with lower end uh, projections. Big names either uh, because of what they've done over the course of a couple seasons, or maybe big, you know, potential breakout names. Let's put Matthew Stafford and Trevor Lawrence both coming in as low end QB twos. Let's put them in the comparison tool and talk about uh, that head to head. I feel like these are both guys that were drafted as you know borderline QB one QB twos in. Know, best ball uh, all off season and you know very likely uh, a, a squad could have ended up with with both of these quarterbacks um, on their redraft team. So Matthew Stafford versus Trevor Lawrence, um, what do you see in that head to head?
2: Well the, th- the thing I want to say first uh, Kurt, is just high level on Matthew Stafford. If people are really zoned into what happened last year, Um, I would recommend that you take a look at how he's done this year because it hasn't really been what you were expecting. And I think we see that to some extent reflected in his average of 15.9 points, which beats out Lawrence's of 15. But Lawrence actually beats Stafford in the 10 to 15 bucket, the 15 to 20 bucket. Um, Stafford does get him, though, in the 20 to 25 and 20 and, and greater than 25 but not by, you know, like a radical difference. Uh, So I would say overall Stafford has the better distribution this week, but it's fairly similar. And then just to put some numbers behind what I was saying about Stafford, you know, for as awesome as Cooper cup has been for fantasy, we're not seeing that uh, working out this year for Stafford. Um, if you pop it, like I have the Monday review tool open right now. It's an easy way to look at quarterbacks. He's not even in the top 20 right now in points. We've only seen him pass for four touchdowns, um, across four games has a thousand yards, just 6.8 yards per attempt. Um, I guess I'm getting a little off topic here on the question, you know, between Stafford and <laughs> yeah. Lawrence, but I just think it's yeah. worth noting because, you know, I've been hoping that we can yeah. get more out of Stafford. You know, maybe at some point in the season, he breaks a big game, but it's not looking like this is going to be the week.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's deep enough on on the quarterbacks. And just a reminder, you can do the comparisons. You can do the all player uh, list and you can look at individual player distributions in our game level similarity projections just by having a rotoviz.com subscription. There's no second level sub that you need to have in order to have access to this tool. So you can get in and do your own comparisons at the position anytime you want uh, over on the site. Let's kick over to the running backs, Dave. Yep. And some, f- f- some familiar names, but then also some surprise names Amongst the RB ones here, and I think this is the value of a tool like this that doesn't, you know, have all the, you know, the context that that we have as, you know, consumers of of news and um, post game pressers, and um, just using the tool can help you maybe feel more bold to to make start sit uh, decisions before it would otherwise seem reasonable to do so, and the importance of that especially in these redraft, you know, tournament type uh, setups. So like the FFPC main event is if you get credit for what you're doing during the regular season as part of the playoff function, you've got to be willing to take some risks, some calculated risks in your starting lineup to get credit for those points in your per week average. And so that is the value of the tool, looking at some of the the potential upside with these players. And it doesn't take very far down the list to see uh, those opportunities at running back. So Joe Mixon's the RB1 at the 50th percentile this week with a 17.2 uh, PPR uh, projection. You know, he's the absolute, like, expected points king this year, but he's a total dunce in fantasy points over expectation right now. So the big debate with Mixon is, is there going to be a correction week coming or is he going to continue to be, you know, maybe overvalued? I'll have you answer that one, but I want to run down the rest of the top six first because we get Austin Eckler, who is an absolute star in week four at the RB2, followed by David Montgomery slash Bears hybrid RB, right? Yep. Uh, Najee Harris, who has a changing offensive situation with Kenny Pickett, now penciled in as the starter. Will that make the team a little bit more dynamic and open things up for Najee, even despite having that uh, you know tough offensive line situation? Then we see Clyde Edwards-Dillair and Damian Pierce. So, you know, rounding out that top six that, you know, the, the higher end RB1s for this week, couple surprise names there.
2: Yeah. Well, I'll also mention, Curtis, just so you're aware. Last night, I, I went on another soliloquy about uh, Clyde Edwards-Dillair, which tends to happen. But sure. uh, very exciting to see Pierce score uh, so highly here. And I don't think it should come as a surprise at this point. I think that uh, it might have been fair to be a little resistant or a little bit hesitant to him in the preseason. But given what we've seen now, it should not come as a surprise. And he really is looking like a player that you should be excited to have in your lineups. To the point about Joe Mixon. Yeah, man, he is crushing it right now in expected points. Number one among among running backs. Uh, Number one in total opportunities. Also, I'll add number two in rushing attempts, number three in targets, but ranking just 103 in fantasy points over expectation per game. I guess I would say it like this, or I would answer it like this. I don't think that we're going to see this massive change in his efficiency, but we surely will have a couple of games where he is approximating a fantasy total much closer to the expected points that he's seeing per game i think that between now and the end of the season at this point he has one rb1 performance in four games i think we probably see another four or five rb1 performances because the thing is with that type of workload he does not need to be that efficient to be logging rb1 type of weeks so That is a long winded way of saying that uh, the efficiency might not matter given that workload. I think another player that's interesting just to reference here is Devin Singletary once again, popping here as a RB one. He has been a favorite of the GLSP across the season, and it might make sense to zoom out for a minute for owners or fantasy managers to think about why that might be. So one of the key drivers for him is he's right now number 16 in targets among running backs, puts him at number 18 in expected points per game. He's number two in receiving yards for running backs. So if you look at the average stat line he's projected to get this week, It will show you that he's expected to have 13 rushing attempts and four targets. That's a pretty good workload. And one of the reasons that this is important to is it gives him the chance to score touchdowns. In fact, half of his matchups score or half of his matches scored touchdowns in the games that they played Uh, 38% of his matches sandwiched between 10 to 15 does have some upside 12% of his matches went over. 25. At this point, Singletary is looking to me like a player that I'm much more okay playing than I think we would have thought heading into the preseason. James Cook hasn't really done that much. We've seen Zach Moss get some chances earlier on, but really Singletary is the main focus in that backfield there. Uh, And as I mentioned, the totals are still pretty substantial. Of course, when you're an offense like Buffalo's, that tends to work out for you.
1: Yeah, uh, Sean and I and our FFPC pros versus Joe's Dynasty Squad. We started Singletary over DJ Moore uh, mm-hmm. last week. They ended up having similar uh, similar games, but you know that's kind of I don't know if that says more about DJ Moore's situation or Devin Singletary's situation, but um, yeah, I mean especially with the injuries that are starting to mount uh, at the running back position, you know I think it is noteworthy that the GLSP has this level of confidence. And Devin Singletary. Now, a player that's definitely going to be, you know, probably one of the biggest buzz names all week is Melvin Gordon. Now, this tool is not going to understand that Javante Williams isn't available. So, how could we look at Javante and Melvin uh, in some sort of meaningful way in the GLSP and come away with an idea about what we want to do? With Melvin, because I, you know, the team goes out and signs Latavius Murray. And yes, they have Mike Boone, but, you know, I think it still makes sense, despite the fumbling issues, to assume that Melvin will get the first crack at at least leading the committee. So we can look at what Javante's got in the tool. We can look at what Melvin's got in the tool and try to come up with some level of confidence in starting Gordon as an RB2 this week.
2: Which I think, though, I might have to caveat here. I think I might have taken. Williams out before it posted so that he didn't get pushed over to the optimizer. Um, oh, that's
1: a good point. That's but good point. if you
2: want to filibuster here for a minute, I'm actually going to look up. <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah, look go up what it, his man. output would have been.
1: Yeah, go find it. I'm going to talk. I want to talk about Josh Jacobs a little bit because Jacobs has been, uh, you know, pretty exciting over the last couple of weeks and really consolidated a lot of the the running back production in week four. Uh, to the point where, unfortunately, his his lack of ceiling in the first three weeks of the season that he hadn't really demonstrated put him on the bench in a lot of my redraft uh, squads that could have really uh, used the shot in the arm. But now, you know, he's going to face Kansas City this week. You know, he got most of the running back targets in, in week four. And, you know, Vegas is going to keep up with KC. Um, you know, there's two schools of thought, and I think they both probably work for Jacobs. You know, if, if his work four week workload uh, is any indication if, if Vegas tries to come out and control the clock, control the game, you know, he had almost all of the carry share. Then if they get behind and he's going to be used as the primary receiving back, that's not necessarily a bad thing anymore either because, you know, everything that we saw in the preseason and over the first you know week or two of the season where Vegas was trying to have an additional back involved, doesn't really seem to be, you know, the strategy now. So, at the, uh, from an average standpoint, he looks like a low end RB1 in the GLSP this week. So, certainly startable, especially once you saw for you know, potentially Jonathan Taylor not playing, Javante Williams definitely not playing, Alvin Kamara maybe not playing. You know, a lot of, uh, you know, higher end running backs out of the picture. Jacobs could potentially be, you know, a key to the the middle part of the season that we come up on here. From a ceiling perspective, The GLSP is not seeing a lot for him um, this week. Only about a quarter of his distribution is living uh, above, actually slightly less than a quarter, is living above 20 PPR. But he looks like a pretty safe bet uh, to score in in the teens, uh, maybe perhaps up to 20. So I will definitely be trying to cram Josh Jacobs into the flex spot in any uh, squad where I've got him this week, Dave. What did you find On the Broncos backfield now that you've had a chance
2: to look. Sure. So in terms of fantasy points, uh, Javante Williams not getting a lot of love this week comes in at 38 with an average of around nine points. And then if we look at the distribution here of work between Williams, it was expecting Williams to get around 11 rushing attempts with maybe three targets had Melvin Gordon on nine rushing attempts with one and a half targets. So I would say if you're trying to get a baseline expectation, I would not say that you're going to have Gordon take over all of Williams work, but I do think that it'd be fair to expect him to get to around maybe 16 rushing attempts with, I don't know, maybe three or four targets. Uh, So I'd probably put like, if I'm blending that together, his average expectation this week, maybe around like 12 points, uh, which is actually a pretty good, a pretty good line. Um, People can adjust that up or down how they may. Um, I don't know. Do you have any feeling on, on this? Maybe even if we just remove the week-specific component of this conversation here, if we just kind of think about what the running back or running back like Gordon should be able to do with what we've seen so far from Denver?
1: Yeah, what had me interested in... Melvin for this week, not just for redraft and dynasty lineup purposes, but also, you know, potentially from a salary perspective and DFS, you know, we've got a Thursday night game, you know, you could either play that, you know, as a primetime situation, or you could play, you know, basically the five day contest where you're going from, you know, Monday or from Thursday to Monday, you know, Denver's a home favorite. And against Indianapolis, you know, they've allowed a rushing touchdown and, in three straight games and they've allowed at least five receptions to the running back position in every contest, um, this year. And in two of the four weeks, they've allowed six or seven receptions to running back position. So, you know, I think that the argument for Gordon having a lot of upside in his first, uh, chance at the, as the potential bell cow would be, perhaps he keeps all of the work that he would already have gotten, Takes a little bit of Javante's work. And, you know, of course, some might be left over for Mike Boone or Latavius Murray. But if Gordon can, you know, take half of that work from Javante and just stack it onto what he was already doing, that gets a little bit more exciting, especially once you adjust for the fact that the Colts are allowing running backs into the end zone with regularity.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed.
2: Sure. Um, so a couple more names to call out here. Uh you see Brees Hall getting into the top fifteen, yeah. which I think is pretty exciting. If we go down a little bit further, uh, Curtis, we see Jeff Wilson in the top 20, had a couple of nice runs in yeah, the man. game last night. Um, has a decent chance of finding the end zone again. We might be talking about him uh when we answer some of our own start sit questions. In a little bit of time, J.K. Dobbins starting to make some moves up um, coming off the heels of a big game. And I think the one other name that I wanted to call out that uh, we're seeing towards the top, Damian Harris um, actually comes in around RB12. Ramondre Stevenson comes in in the top 30 as well. So it feels like this is a spot where one of those Patriot running backs should be able to, to have a good game. Now, of course, there's another layer of context here, which is it's quite possible that the Patriots just try to run the ball a ton. Granted, they could find themselves behind if they do try to pass. But I'm inclined to say that we're going to see a heavy reliance on probably both of them this week. So those are two projections I would probably, you know, place some credence in. Well, I
1: like that. Yeah, I, I like that. That's a great call out. Um, I don't have anything else to add for running backs. I want to hit a couple of surprise wide receivers and some tight ends, and then we can get into our flex breakdown for our own lineups here yep. as, as we wrap things up um, a couple of names that stand out to me amongst the top 15 of receivers for week Five. Uh, first, Robert Woods, not a player you'd expect to, to finish so highly, you know, at this point being in the, the Titans offense, number one, Um, And also considering that this, uh, you know, this app doesn't know that Traylon Burks is injured and that, you know, Woods would potentially consolidate more of the, you know, the target market share here. So that's makes it even a little bit more interesting uh, for me. But man, you know, he's got a 16.5 PPR average and a 21.0 PPR 75th percentile this week. What is it? you know what what are we seeing with woods's distribution overall uh in this matchup um for the titans this week
2: yeah well the thing that's really driving this high projection is that 60% of his matches score touchdowns uh Ooh. as a result of that his largest its distrib- largest largest bucket in the distribution puts him with 31% between 10 to 15 we see it slowly decrease down from there with even 14% of his matches going more than 25 16 between 20 to 25 only uh, a fifth of his matches failed to get to 10 points. So, you know, we're looking at a game uh-huh. here where there's a lot of, a, a lot of, uh, you know, expectation for him to score a touchdown, maybe put up around 70 yards on eight targets.
1: Okay. Um, Chris Olave showing up right behind him at wide receiver 14, I think it gets less and less surprising uh, with each passing week. I mean, he just looks like such a star, uh, you know, right away, despite the ever-changing New Orleans Saints offensive skill player mix. uh, I don't think they've started the same people uh, in any two games uh, through the first month of the season. But, you know, Alave now adding some floor to the ceiling that we were seeing early on. Uh, and then GLSP. Anything to add uh, on Olave this week?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, his target uh, expectation is already approaching nine targets uh, in this contest. Now, given that he's had that uh, ability to break big plays, not that those necessarily get factored in, but it does via that uh, you know ratio of targets to yards. He's already having a lot of his matches in this uh, particular week year going over a hundred yards with his average match going for 90 yards so we're expecting him to have a very nice day converting some of those uh high air yard totals that we've seen
1: okay a couple big names that aren't so hot in the glsp at the wide receiver position this week debo samuel coming off of another monster performance uh, showing up just as wide receiver 32 for week five looks like a pretty low ceiling and a a, a bit of a disappointing floor compared to most weeks. Uh, What do you see for Debo?
2: Yeah. So we actually see 38% of his matches sandwiched between 10 to 15 points, just 15% went over 20. uh, And this is the opposite case of what we saw with woods players like Debo have not scored a lot of touchdowns on opponents like the Panthers. In fact, uh, his matches average just 0.1 touchdowns. So that means, Yikes. you know, yeah, that's five out of 50 matches scored a touchdown. But the one thing that I do think we always need to keep in mind is that the tool in this case is not considering what Debo may be able to do as a rusher. Now, we didn't see him uh, in the game the other night get a ton of carries. I think he only had two, uh, but that's always, you know, a little asterisk that you have to throw out for a player like Debo that does some things that are hard to have picked up in a tool that's focusing on certain positions.
1: Fair enough. Uh, Terry McLaurin also actually now finishing outside the top 36. So Terry McLaurin, a wide receiver four, with zero matches above 25 PPR, uh, I'm, I'm pretty accustomed at this point to seeing uh, a 2% of a distribution above 25. It's not often that I see zero, especially for a bigger name player. So uh, people hoping for a scary Terry bounce back um, or breakout in, in week five, it may not be coming.
2: Yeah. You know, I'm conflicted on exactly what to think about McLaurin. I think one of the things that's worth just kind of, Explaining this with is that we've seen Dotson be really good. We've seen Curtis Samuel prosper. And I think as a result of that, there hasn't had to be as much of a focus on McLaurin. You know, at this point, only has one receiving touchdown, uh, has 250 receiving yards, and 45.7 PPR points. But when you put that into uh, that kind of stat line into the GLSP, it comes out expecting McLaurin to see seven and a half targets converting five receptions and putting up 60 yards uh, with just 0.2 touchdowns. Now, those aren't terrible numbers, but for a player that you would have been hoping would firmly be in wide receiver three territory, that's not the type of line that's going to get you into that zone week in and week out.
1: A couple more players at wide receiver and then we'll, we'll move on. Um, Some low floors for some big names. So outside the top uh, 45 at the position for week five, we find Cortland Sutton, Michael Pittman, Adam Thielen, DJ Moore. Uh, You know, it's it's a little scary to see a lack of ceiling and a lack of floor uh, for some of these big names. Um, any, you know, let's, let's start to maybe turn this into a little bit of a head to head. Yep. It, it, let's say you've got, um, you know, Thielen versus DJ Moore. Um, what do you see from a ceiling, uh, perspective in their distributions? If you had to make a decision on, on those two, I think that could actually be a pretty common decision point, especially for, you know, so many of our listeners that, you know, built, you know, uh, hero RB constructions or zero RB constructions and ended up with, you know, both of these guys, you know, the, t- in the top half of the single digit rounds of their drafts.
2: Sure. So it's, it's a pretty interesting breakdown between the two. Uh, both players had 14% of their matches going between 15 to 20 over 20. Thielen had 8% of his matches more had 15. The biggest point where we see a difference here is, is with kind of that median outcome with Adam Thielen having 30% of his matches between 10 to 15 but DJ Moore just 11 which means that Moore carries a much lower floor into this matchup despite just edging out Thielen in terms of upside.
1: Okay, I think that's good cuz you know when you're when you're considering uh you know players for your flex, for your wide receiver 3, you know, if if the ceilings are are somewhat uh, comparable, if we've got an appreciably lower floor, you know, on one, you know, you got to win your matchup, you know, in a head to head situation. Um, you know, I think that's a pretty good tiebreaker. I'm also seeing DJ Moore 23% of its distribution below five points. I mean, that's kind of nuts. Yeah. That's what
2: happens when you play, uh, in an offense that doesn't want to make the use of your talents. (laughs) So,
1: and then we'll, we'll do, uh, we'll, we'll focus on the other two, you know, Cortland Sutton, and, and Michael Pittman, their distributions actually look a little bit tighter. So perhaps we don't need to break down um, the head-to-head, but I would note uh, for those of you counting on on big games, at least in their 50 uh, matchup sample that our GLSP is looking at, um, you're going to be probably hoping for those big booms to come from other players in your lineups right. in week five.
2: Yeah, uh, uh, that's definitely what it looks like. So I think that we've hit the... Uh, wide receivers i don't think there's anything else that screamed at me that we need to talk about it so let's move over to tight end uh where it should come as no surprise we see mark andrews at the top of the board with an average glsp of 18.4 has 26 percent of his matches going over 25, which is just insane for a tight end. But the name behind him is particularly surprising, especially coming off a game where he just had four targets, two receptions. We actually see George Kittle coming in with an average GLSP of 14.4 PPR. I'll give you a little bit of background here on the average stat line. It puts him with 7.8 targets, 5.3 receptions, 64 yards and he has a 40% chance of scoring a touchdown. So this is a very solid projection for a tight end. That's some love for Kittle this week, followed by Travis Kelsey. We see Conklin scoring well, David and Joku. Now Curtis is at the point where we're starting to see him routinely yeah, flirting with top half of tight end. One consideration should be no surprise that he's followed by TJ Hawkinson, a surprising name that you will see towards the top of the list this week is Hunter Henry, who really has been very quiet to this point. I'm inclined to say that you should probably fade that as we enter the week. Uh, we see Logan Thomas rounding out the top 15 in terms of players that are falling short, we talked about Kyle Pitts as the snoozer of the week, unsurprisingly comes in at tight end 26. So if you're hoping for that turnaround, uh, you know, I think you might be waiting a little bit longer.
1: Another name that's a little bit lower, who was a standout uh, in this tool in week four and actually did um, pay off. Uh, not the same type of upside that we're seeing for Pat Frymuth, um this week. Now, we have the quarterback change. You know, you know the data sample doesn't know anything about that. Um, but Fryermuth actually coming in at tight end, 19 uh this week whereas he was a top 5 uh, option last week and then Dalton Schultz I think is the other one that's a little bit scary you know put up you know obviously coming back quickly from injury um you, you know plays into it uh put up the the 0.0, 0 um line in week 4 <laughs> uh, and absolutely burned everyone yeah. that um you know I I think it's totally defensible that you play him I mean you don't, probably don't have uh, a super high-end, you know, tight end two behind him. And you obviously, if you've got Dalton Schultz on your roster, you draft him as a mid uh, tight end one and carries those type of expectations with him. But uh, he's showing up outside the top 12 at the position again for week five. So you know, potentially have to wait and see for reasons beyond um, the injury. And, you know, if you picked somebody up and streamed him last week, you know, maybe consider that again in week five. Dave I want to use the Flex tool for some head to heads,, yep. and maybe we can make some start sit uh, decisions for one of our main event teams that has been heating up a little bit and we've gotten some players healthy, And now we have the difficult, you know agonizing situation where we've got to sit players that you know we feel good about. And uh, that's the value here is we can take some of the emotion out of it and the human elements out of it and you know see what the GLSP has to say. So we've got a squad here where we're going to have to start two of the following four players, Um, Jeff Wilson and Josh Jacobs. So we've got two running backs in this potential grouping. And then we've got Deontay Johnson and Alan Lazard as well. And I'm curious what the GLSP would have to say about those four players. Perhaps we can whittle it down to a clear top two or at least find a top one and make it a little bit less excruciating.
2: Yeah. So the way that I would go about thinking through this in my mind is I would consider each player's average. So you have Wilson and Jacobs at 12 and 13, respectively. Jacobs has more upside with a decent amount of his matches going over 20 points, 18% to be exact. So that's kind of how I would quickly size up the running backs on the receiver side. Tell me again, because we have a couple of teams and I actually forget who the receivers on this one were. It's Lazard, and who was the other one?
1: It's uh, Lazard and then Deontay Johnson, who right. uh, has been a little disappointing in recent weeks. And again, you know, we do have the quarterback change there. And Pickett seemed to favor George Pickens, Again, the tool won't know that. So I'm curious what it has to objectively say about Deontay's matchup.
2: Sure. So you have Lazard at an average of 11.2 points, Deontay Johnson at 12.6. So Johnson falling more in line with the wide receivers in terms of average. Uh, As far as upside goes, Lazard only has 10% of his matches going above 20. We do see Deontay Johnson having 17%. So this is actually a pretty tricky, uh, a pretty tricky quartet here of players to choose between. I think that um, at this point, right, we have to pull in some context of what we know to start to make sense of this. I think that I'd be less inclined to play Deontay Johnson this week than Wilson or Jacobs. So he's ruled out via that, at which point I really think it's a question. So I think you have Jacobs in the lineup. Then it comes down to Lazard versus Wilson. So let me quickly line these two up and we can think a little bit more deeply about how the distributions differ. One of the things that stands out to me at first blush here is that you see 39% of Wilson's matches going Uh, between 10 to 15, 31 for Lazard. But one of the biggest differences is 17% of Lazard's matches went under five points, just 8% of Wilson's. They're very similar between the 15 to 25-point buckets. You almost have a fundamental question here of do you want to try to go for the wide receiver who I would say, though we don't see it... um, reflected here in terms of the upside. Um, actually, I'm going to have to retract that statement here. I, I, <laughs> this isn't good radio years. <laughs> I think this through, I actually think I'd be inclined yeah. to go Wilson and Jacobs. Okay. Well
1: um, we can pull in a little bit of additional information mm-hmm. from the NFL stat Explorer. So I'm going to, I'll go Lazard and then I'll go Wilson. <clears throat> so Liz, Lazard has a matchup against um, the New York giants and You know, their sample is a little bit, um, their recent sample is a little bit difficult to read because they played the Bears in week four and the Bears don't have any expected points at the wide receiver position because they have no passing attack. Um, However, in the very limited um, usage that wide receivers did get against the Giants last week, Darnell Mooney did have his best game of the season, um, albeit only on five targets. He did have four receptions for. 94 yards in week three CD lamb paced uh, the Cowboys against the Giants uh, eight, eight receptions for 87 yards and a touchdown on 12 targets. So that's good for 22 PPR. DJ Moore was the headliner in week two, just a line of three 43 for a touchdown. Um, and then in week one, we had Kyle Phillips going six for 66 and no touchdown. So the opposing wide receiver one against the Giants in three out of four weeks stayed under 14 PPR uh, C.D. Lamb being the most talented and highest upside player of the quartet that I mentioned um, was the one that turned in a game above uh, 22 PPR. So that's pretty encouraging. Um, nothing really popping in terms of uh, touchdown or, or yak or, or air yards that would, you know, tilt it in Lazard's favor here. Wide receivers scoring a touchdown in just two of the four games against the giants so far this season. So we'll use the NFL statics Explorer to also explore uh, what Wilson has um, coming up here against Carolina. So first I'll note that San Francisco is a, a, a road favorite by more than a touchdown. I think that's material for a team that prefers to run the ball. Um, however, the Panthers have only allowed two rushing touchdowns to running backs um, this season and no opposing running backs have gone over 100 yards um, against Carolina this year either. Um, and in fact, only one running back has gone above, and only one game did a running back go above 12 PPR. We had the week one game against Cleveland where the Brownies ran all over uh, Carolina and Kareem Hunt. got the touchdowns in that game. Nick Chubb also turning in a pretty strong performance there. Uh, But Saquon Barkley, only 11.8 PPR against the Panthers. Alvin Kamara, only 9.3. And then James Conner, only 10.7. So actually three pretty decent names, not really getting it done uh, from a rushing perspective. So while the Panthers look like, you know, potentially a better matchup for opposing running backs slightly uh, from an expected points at the position perspective than the Giants do for opposing wide receivers, I'm kind of inclined to chase the wide receiver upside since we saw um, all four opposing wide receiver ones go above 13 PPR, but just one uh, opposing running back has done so against Carolina. Does that context in the specific matchups, is that enough to sway you? Or are we going to be de- debating this for the next three or four days? <laughs>
2: Well, <laughs> we'll have to see what happens yeah. with the rest rest of the roster. I mean, that does sway me to some degree. I guess the only pushback that I would have is on some level that is getting factored into uh, the search that is being done by the tool. Sure,
1: yeah, that's going to be that's going to be ten almost ten percent of the sample. Now, uh, you know, would include those first four games. Yeah, you know, of eight percent of the sample um, really would be informed by and that. Weighted so, yeah, most heavily right.
2: to it. But nonetheless, though, I take your point. I mean, one of the factors that you can't bake into is that it can, like, it does have a tendency to look ahead and get ahead of when players should kind of break out or, you know, see big changes in what they're able to do. But I think with a player like Lazard, it might not be able to bake all of that in, Um, you know, stepping into that role with Aaron Rodgers if things work out the way that we hope that they could. Uh, So we don't have much of a resolution here. I th- unfortunately, I think we're going to have to be yeah. debating this one a little bit more as we move along. But the other thing though, Curtis, that might help us break this tie is when we look through the passing game matchup radar on Thursday, uh, what Ooh. type of signal we see there for Lazard? I think will also really help us to finalize that decision.
1: Oh man, that is an expert level intrigue added at the end of the episode here. Listeners will have to wait. We'll, re- we'll resolve this <laughs> discussion a couple of days from now. I will note uh, as a final uh, a final um, checkmark in the Lazard argument uh, here. He has gone above 100 receiving yards um, or scored a receiving touchdown in each game that he's appeared in um, this year. So you know those are some some pretty good. Um, leading indicators uh, on Lazard. And, you know, now that he looks healthy, the role seems to be growing. So we'll resolve this on Thursday with more specifics around um, the passing game for the Packers in that matchup. Dave appreciated all the extra analysis and color that you added around the distributions with the game level similarity projections for week five. Just a reminder to all the listeners, you can do all of this type of analysis for yourself with uh, the power of all the tools at rotoviz.com so if you're listening but you're not subscribing you're not doing it totally right you got to subscribe to the site and the podcast to really get the full rv experience so check it out this week at rotoviz.com
2: thank you for listening to the rotoviz fantasy football show send us questions at rvffshow show at gmail.com Follow us on Twitter at DaveKabenFF and at CPatrickNFL. Leave us a voicemail at 978-615-9214 and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe.